Heads up, this episode about the renaming of Kaufman Union does not start at the beginning. It starts at the end. If you want to understand how we got here, go back and listen to episode 20, or hang in for a super fast two-minute recap. It begins in fall of 2017 with the A Campus Divided exhibit. It outlines how four administrators in the 1930s and 40s, including then-President Kaufman, segregated student housing and spied on Jewish students. And immediately there is a really strong campus reaction to it. Students started calling for these buildings to be renamed, uh, particularly Kaufman. President Kaler um, announces that fall the creation of a task force. And their job was to decide, okay, what are our values? and what's it going to take to rename a building. One year after that, aka last fall, Kaler announces a second task force to take on, um, you know, the issue of renaming four buildings in question. Including Kaufman Student Union. And then the second committee's job was to ultimately reach the conclusion of whether or not buildings should be renamed. The second committee published its findings in a report. A 125-page report that recommends renaming all four buildings in question. But only the Board of Regents has the power to rename buildings. So the report is submitted to the Board of Regents, and almost immediately from that meeting, they start poking holes in it. Some regents said that it was biased, that it um, did not present a fair view of the former administrators. Two regents in particular claimed that uh, the citations were suspect. They claimed that there were letters that were left out. Regent Michael Shu goes so far as to call for an investigation into this task force. And he accuses them of academic dishonesty. That's a charge that has significant weight. We talked with one historian and he compared leveling accusations of academic dishonesty against a historian to telling a doctor that he's trying to kill a patient. It's a very, very, very serious charge. So the Board of Regents Chair says, let's discuss all this at our May meeting, but a whole litany of people came out and was like, no, we need to settle this now. The faculty senate, MSA, wanted a special discussion for this. Uh, And so... On Wednesday of last week, we get an email from the university that says there's going to be a special meeting at Friday at 1 p.m. Completely out of the blue. And we soon find that uh, it was out of the blue for the regents as well. They didn't know it was coming. It was very last minute. And immediately I clear my schedule for Friday because that's when all of this is going to come to a head. Now you're caught up. By the way, that was Austin Macalis and Jake Steinberg. They report for the administration desk at The Daily. On Friday, a group of us walked over to the McNamara Alumni Center from the Minnesota Daily's office. Wait, where are we going? Sixth floor. If you've never been before, this is how Jake describes it. You know, it's like, it's where, it's where the money is. Like, it's a very um, ornate building. I always say it kind of reminds me of like the lair of a James Bond villain. We took the elevator to the sixth floor, and even though we had arrived almost an hour early, people were already gathering outside of the boardroom. And immediately, once you you step into the building, it's basically a who's who of the university. Um, There are members of the task force, there are administrators, there are prominent faculty, there are student leaders. Inside, the room is roughly divided in half. On one side is normal audience seating, but the roof is slanted, so you kind of have to crouch to find seating in the back. On the other side of the room is a long oak desk in the shape of a horseshoe. The regents sit around it, and face the audience. It's well lit, and it's higher than the rest of the room. 
so one gets the feeling of staring up at a pantheon of powerful figures. The students were there because MSA is staging a sit-in in protest, and the faculty are there because they're also staging their own sort of sit-in in protest. And so no one on our side of the discussion was really happy, but no one on the region side was happy either. Uh, so no one in the room was really happy at all. Yeah. Okay, uh, the members of the board are assembled. You can go ahead and proceed. The first thing to understand about this meeting is that the Board of Regents was considering three resolutions, and the resolution to rename Kaufman was second on the docket. The first resolution was about the task force report. Um, it's a statement basically in support of, of the university faculty. And the reason that is being discussed is because of the debate that's been going on for, for several weeks about um, regents accusing the uh, task force of academic dishonesty. Uh, I would move to amend the main motion uh, to strike the language all after the um, resolved that the board of regents adopts the following statement. Immediately, there is, um, you know, debate about this statement. Rosha proposes an amendment. Darren Rosha is one of the regents who heavily criticized the task force report. He basically says that to pass a resolution that commends the faculty task force for a job well done is premature. Having received input from other members and from my own perspective on things, there are portions of the original language that um, are, in some cases, premature. Um, and in some cases um, are not congruent with where uh, certain members, you know, other members and, and myself feel the discussion is, is sitting right now. This draws a pretty severe reaction from people in the boardroom. Um, when Rosha proposes this, there are loud interruptions from, from crowd members. There are um, laughs at one point. And if our faculty, who I respect tremendously, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. The amendment goes to vote, and the Rosha amendment fails by seven to four. The statement commending faculty uh, is approved eight to three. So they vote that resolution through, and that's basically the Board of Regents saying, we know there's been a lot of contention over the integrity of the research. We want to say once and for all, we commend our faculty for their efforts. That's basically what they're saying. That's what the statement does. Uh, eight eyes and uh, three nays, the resolution is adopted. And so that was the first resolution. The second, the second resolution, right, is renaming. It's specifically a resolution written in the negative, meaning it says the board adopts to decline the president's recommendation to rename Kaufman Hall, Coffee, Middlebrook, and Nicholson. It was when Regent Beeson began speaking that things really took a turn. He starts, um, you know, making these very declarative statements. Did a majority of Big Ten universities have integrated housing? No. Did Kaufman hold extreme racial views for someone of this generation born in the 1870s? No. He's basically saying that the way in which these former administrators acted was not so far out of line with which the, the, the historical context that these uh, people were, were, were working in. 
All of these statements from the regents in opposition to renaming are drawing a reaction from the crowd. Was this historic civil rights movement? Things start to get really rowdy. A lot of people in the room start uh, just talking over the regents. Complacency is not an excuse. Folks are shouting out, and there becomes this point where several members of the crowd, um, including Revelin Prell, who is the curator of a campus divided exhibit, who, who's, whose research started this all, um, starts pointing to a man John Wright. named Professor John Wright. Father, we're on the of Minnesota, Regent Beeson, be honorable and ask John Wright, one of the most distinguished professors in the history of the university, what his family experience was under Kaufman. Who is Professor John Wright? So Professor John Wright is a very notable faculty member for several regions. His aunt and his father went to school here during the tenure of President Kaufman. He grew up hearing stories about the university's discrimination, about segregation on campus. But he started his career at the University of Minnesota as an undergraduate student. And during his undergraduate years, in 1969, he was part of a group of students that overtook Morrill Hall, which is the president's office. They negotiated with the president at the time to have a number of measures to benefit black students and minority students on campus. That takeover led to the University of Minnesota's Department of African American Studies, what's now considered the Department of African American Studies. So he was a central figure in basically helping to establish um, the university's Department of African American Studies and other ethnic and cultural studies departments here on campus. So members of the crowd, faculty members, are pointing to John Wright, and he steps up. And he's now walking by himself towards the lectern. There's a moment as Professor Wright is standing up in front of the board that Regent Dean Johnson, who's presiding over the meeting, threatens to arrest him. He says that he will arrest protesters and begins essentially counting down. two minutes in which to sit down and be respectful of this board, and we'll ask... Someone yells, you know, surround him, protect him. Don't let them take him away. And so suddenly all these students and all these faculty, too, are just surrounding John Wright as he stands in front of the, in front of the uh, lectern, in front of the regents. And he's just asking, you know, may I speak? It's this incredibly dramatic moment. Um, and, and um, you know, you have a mass of people um, surrounding a, a longtime professor. And, um, you know, eventually, uh, Professor Wright is given a chance to speak. Professor Wright, please. Thank, thank you very much. Um, this is an uh, extraordinary occasion for me on multiple uh, grounds, one in part because I'm in the very last weeks 
of over 35 years on the faculty of this university, uh, preceded by a, a decade as a student, an undergraduate and graduate student here from 1963 to 1973. I've been on the faculty since 1984. But I'm part of a, of, a, of a family lineage that has ties to this university. Go back to, the, to 1901. So what Professor Wright says is that the university's history of discrimination, of segregation, was well known to the black community at this time. The ties between the African-American community and this university, again, are long on multiple levels. It's a rich and very complex and conflictual history. I've had the, you know, the pleasure and sometimes the pain to be involved with it for over three generations. He basically says, and you're looking for racism in the University of Minnesota archives. You're looking in it, you're looking for it in letters that were sent by Kaufman and the regents and other administrators. And he says, you're not gonna find the racism in there. The single best source of information on African-American life on this campus, on the policies of the, of the university administration, on the positions of the region and so forth, is not in the university archives. It's in the archives of the black press. You're going to find it in the black press at the time. You're, you're going to see for, you know, a hundred years headlines about discrimination and racism at the University of Minnesota. And the portrait of life on this campus and the university policies that would come out of a, a close examination of those workings of the black press, those primary source stuff. It, well, the advisory task force here is gentle by comparison. <laughs> it's gentle by comparison. He and says the, the era of silence that has been around for so long at the university when it comes to this history is over that basically there's no going back, that the university needs to deal with this history and it needs to reckon with it. And regardless of what this board decides, uh, we will continue to wrestle with these things on into the future. In, clo in, in closing, he, he quoted uh, Mark Twain. Uh, he said, history, uh, history may, may not, not repeat, repeat itself, itself. Uh, but it does rhyme. But it does rhyme. History may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Um, and, you know, he said something to the effect of it's rhyming here today with you guys uh, arguing and bickering about this racist history that has been very evident to black people in Minnesota and Minneapolis for so long. And by voting these names down, you are sort of continuing that um, racist history of this institution. And I think, uh, again, I think there's much to be shared, and I hope going forward, Again, whatever this board decides here, that we will have a, a, a constructive and a collaborative step forward into the future. Thank you. He finishes his speech to applause. Uh, even members on the Board of Regents are, are moved, are visibly moved by what he said. Even so, when the board takes their vote. There being 10 ayes and one nay, the motion prevails. Thank you very much. It's 10 to one to reject renaming. They decide not to go forward to keep the building names. And so the question then is, if you're not going to rename the buildings, what are you gonna do? And so that's what this third resolution was. They basically direct the incoming administration, President Joan Gable, to install historical exhibits or educational 
um, events or some sort of process to deal with the university's history in its full, to, to educate people about what happened. The third resolution passed unanimously. And then... All favor say aye. Closed. We are adjourned. They adjourned. I picked up my recorder and began asking student leaders how they felt after more than a year of renaming advocacy. The fact that they're so dismissive of the stories and experiences of people that were there, that knew people that were there, and the, the discrimination that they experienced, and for someone to sit up there and specifically say this didn't happen, when you like looking in the face of someone who it happened to, that's absolutely horrific. And I want to say I'm just very disappointed, again, as a Minnesotan, as a taxpayer, um, specifically, and as a student at this university, we need to do better. I'm really glad that the Regents decided to let community members speak. Um, it would have been a disservice to everyone had they not made that decision, so good for them. We're not pleased with the outcome of today. Um, but the fact that they were willing to allow Professor Wright to speak is a step in the right direction. You know, I came into this university on the very first day I was here. Um, my MK leader sat all of us down and we were looking at the union, right? And then she started telling us the stories behind it. As students of color who are here at a much... We experience a rate of... We experience something that not every student here experiences. And that is something that these regions don't understand. Do you think this is over or are there still more steps to be taken? Absolutely not, this is not over and the fight will continue. Thanks, man. Where does this conversation leave the effort to rename buildings on campus and to overall make concrete reconciliations with our university's history? Well, for the moment, renaming is done. The year-long effort of, of student advocates specifically to push for renaming is over. The student leaders who have been pushing for this are obviously incredibly disappointed. But there still remains a greater question of how is the university going to acknowledge and grapple with this history? And if this region's meeting and this whole discussion about building names has proven anything, it's that Universities are conservative institutions, and they are very difficult to change. Here's the rest of the U's news. University of Minnesota could become the first college to mandate orientation voter registration. A resolution to institutionalize the process passed to the Student Senate in early April. Once the new system is in place, freshmen and transfer students would be prompted to register to vote online, either during registration or welcome week. The freshman class of 2023 is projected to be the first class to experience the change. The close of spring semester means the beginning of student evaluations. As students are bubbling in a score for their professor or TA, some instructors caution that bias may influence the outcome of these evaluations. The Women's Faculty Cabinet, an organization representing the interests of women who teach at the U, is asking for additional measures to assess instructor performance. The WFC said that student evaluation should not be used in considering tenure and performance reviews. The organization is also calling on the U to determine the gender gap in evaluations and better their peer review system. A West Bank parking lot with towering solar panels is part of a university push towards sustainable energy. There are currently eight solar panel sites on campus. These panels are a step towards the U's goal of cutting greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2020 and then offsetting them completely by 2050. 
In the Know is produced by me, Luke Diamond, and was reported this week also by me, Luke Diamond. My co-host is Tiffany Bui. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. If you enjoyed this story and you'd like more like it to show up in your inbox, subscribe to the Minnesota Daily at minnesotadaily.com by clicking the subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner. Other than that, survive the last week of school, and summer will be here soon. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.